0: Order. Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Philip Hollobone. Number one, sir. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I am sure that everyone across the House of Commons will want to join me in paying tribute to David Cairns, yeah. who was Member of Parliament for Inverclyde, who very sadly died on Monday, aged just 44. I will always remember him as someone who was very quick-witted, who was sharply intelligent, but also someone who was an extremely kind and compassionate man. Not many people can claim to have come to this House only because legislation was passed to allow them to come, but as a former Catholic priest, that had to happen in his case, and the House was better off for that happening. I'm sure everyone will join me in sending our deepest condolences to his partner, his family his many friends, and I know that his constituents, as many others will, will miss his tireless work very, very much indeed. Yes. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
1: Mr Philip Hollobone, May I associate myself with the Prime Minister's remarks? David Cairns was a great parliamentarian and a good friend. On the 10th of February this House voted overwhelmingly by a majority of 10 to 1 to continue the ban on giving prisoners the vote, since which time the European Court of Human Rights has effectively ignored the will of this House, still insists the law be changed and has given the Government until October to bring forward proposals. On this issue will Her Majesty's Government bend its knee to the European Court or will it stand up and insist that on this issue? Britain will not budge.
0: My hon. Friend, it is absolutely clear that the House of Commons has given a very clear view that prisoners should not have the vote. My own view is that prisoners uh, should not have the vote. I think what we should do is two things. First of all, we should be trying to reform the European Court, as we are, as my right hon. Friend the Justice Secretary is leading this charge, to make sure it does pay more attention to national judgments and national parliaments. But At the same time, we will have to consider our response to this issue, and I want it to be as close as possible to the clearly expressed will of the House of Commons. Mr
1: Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I want to start by paying tribute to our much-loved colleague David Cairns. His death is a tragedy at such a young age and we send deepest condolences to his partner Dermot and the whole of his family. He was, I think, what any Member of Parliament would aspire to be in this House. Mr. Speaker. He was warm, principled and he was independent-minded, even if that wasn't always comfortable for the leadership uh, of our party. He fought for the causes he believed in, he was Labour through and through, he will be missed throughout the Labour movement and I know he will be missed throughout this House as well. Mr Speaker, a year into his government, how would the Prime Minister rate his handling of the NHS? I think the most important thing we've done is increase
0: spending on the NHS which is something that has only happened because of the commitment we made at the last election. So an extra £11.6 billion will be going into the NHS because of the decisions we have taken. In addition to that, there is a £200 million cancer drugs fund, so people get the drugs they need. And For the first time in a long time, the number of doctors is growing very quickly and the number of bureaucrats is actually falling. <laughs>
1: Ed Mr. Speaker, in case the Prime Minister didn't realise, it takes seven years to train a doctor. So I'd like to thank him for his congratulations for our record on the NHS. Now, Now, and I have to say to him. Have to say to him if it is all going so well why do we see the number of people waiting for diagnosis rising again this morning over 10,000 people waiting to get their tests that is three times the number it was a year ago now i noticed also he did not mention his top-down reorganisation when he talked about his handling of the nhs let me remind him what he said just a month ago mr speaker he said i have been involved in designing these changes way back into opposition with Andrew Lansley. Can he he therefore confirm that the failing NHS plans are not the Health Secretary's fault, they are his? The Leader of the Opposition himself
0: has said that no change is not an option, so what we are seeing is the usual empty opposition. Now I am glad I'm glad that he mentioned waiting times because it was it was 2 weeks ago that at that dispatch box he said and I quote waiting times have risen month on month under this government that is not true those the figures which he had at the time the the figures showed that for inpatient waiting times they fell from 9.1 to 9 weeks and for outpatients they went down from 4.8 weeks to 3.5 weeks that is the lowest for a year now it is important when we come to this house and we make statements that are inaccurate we correct the record at the first available opportunity hold on so would he would he like to take this opportunity to correct that specific mistake
1: Mr Speaker, waiting waiting times waiting times arising. And I noticed I noticed he didn't even take the opportunity to take responsibility for the health policy. Well, where is the health secretary after all? Where, where is the health secretary? I have to say to him i have to say to him it's becoming it's becoming a pattern with this prime minister mr speaker because this morning in the papers we see the universities minister being dumped on for his tuition fees policy we see the school secretary being dumped on for his free schools policy and the poor deputy prime minister he just gets dumped on every day of the week That he must believe that something has gone wrong with his health policy, Mr. Speaker, because he's launched his so called listening exercise. Now, can he reassure doctors, nurses, and patients that it's a genuine exercise? Yes. Of course, it is a genuine exercise.
0: Let me just be clear. He is wrong on the waiting times. The yeah. figures are clear. I will place them in the library of the House of Commons. Waiting times went down last month, and he ought to have the guts to, and the courage to correct the record when he gets it wrong. Now he asks about my health secretary. Perhaps I could remind him what his health secretary has said. And he said this. He said this this week the general aims of the reforms are sound. That is what he said. He said earlier, I have no problem with the broad aim of the changes, and went on to praise them. I have to say, looking at this, it all reminds me of Labour 30 years ago. They had a leader with the ratings of Michael Foote, and he was being undermined by someone called Healey as well, Ed Miliband.
1: Mr. Speaker, we read in the papers about the PMQ's makeover. Well, I have to say it didn't last very long because, Flash, because Flashman is back. Uh, but, but, but of course but of course but of course Flashman, of course the thing is Flashman, The thing is Flashman doesn't answer the question. So let me try and try the question on him again. What, what can he explain? why the chief executive of the NHS, Sir David Nicholson, wrote to NHS staff on the 13th of April after his so-called pause had begun, and he said this, that NHS staff should, and I quote, press on with implementation of the plans. Mr Speaker, that doesn't sound like a pause to me. I can absolutely guarantee there will be significant and substantial changes
0: to the reforms because we want to get them right, because we want to guarantee an NHS free at the point of use, available on need rather than ability to pay. And unlike the party opposite that is now cutting the NHS in Wales, this government will put more money into the NHS. Now, he talks about what is in the newspapers today. He ought to be looking at the GPs representing 7 million patients. Who are writing to the papers today to say this is evolution, not revolution. It's good for patients and it's going to help, and I quote, some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Now, he asks about, um, I admit, I have to accept some of the recent cultural references, Michael Winner, Benny Hill. They are all, I accept, a little bit out of date. But I have to say, I look at the Honourable Gentleman who told us the fight back, the fight back. Told us, who told us the fight back would start in Scotland before going down to a massive defeat? It <laughs> rather reminds me of Eddie the Eagle.
1: Ed Miliband. Mr. 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 Speaker, Mr. Speaker, let me congratulate him on getting 42 GPs to write to the Daily Telegraph supporting his plans. The Royal College of GPs represents 42,000 GPs and they say this from the Prime Minister who said he would protect the NHS they say this and I would have thought he would be embarrassed about this they say his plans will cause irreparable damage to the core values of the NHS and the truth is I don't know whether he even knows about this letter that David Nicholson sent but the truth is his pause is nothing more than a sham.
0: Doesn't the honourable gentleman, for once in his life, actually deal with the substance of the reform? The truth, the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is this. He has said, he has said, quite rightly, that no change is not an option. We believe no change is not an option. That is what the overwhelming amount of people in the NHS feel. Look at the elements of the reform. GP fund holding started under Labour, now improved under this coalition. Foundation hospitals started under Labour, now being taken forward by this coalition. Payment by results, so we make sure we get good value for money in the NHS, started under Labour, now being carried forward under this coalition. That's the point. He should be seriously engaging in how we make sure we have a strong NHS for all our people for the future. Instead, we have empty opposition,
1: which got him absolutely nowhere last week. In Mr Mr Speaker, in a phrase in a phrase he's familiar with, calm down, dear, calm down. <laughs> and, and 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 doesn't and and, and doesn't and doesn't and doesn't his mess on the NHS tell us all we need to know about this Prime Minister? He breaks his promises, he doesn't think things through, and when the going gets tough, he dumps on his colleagues. On a, de- on a day when waiting lists are rising, it confirms what you always knew about the Tories. You can't trust the Tories on the NHS.
0: What we've seen is just the product of empty opposition and weak leadership government that is putting more money into the NHS. It is this government that is putting money into the Cancer Drugs Fund. It is this government that is seeing the number of doctors and nurses grow while the number of bureaucrats shrinks. It is this party that is defending the NHS, and it is Labour in Wales that is cutting the NHS. That is the truth. There is only one party you can trust on the NHS, and it is the one that I lead. There's far too much shouting in this chamber, and the Secretary of State for Education shouldn't be shouting his head off. It's a very bad example to set to the nation's
1: schoolchildren. Sir Paul Beresford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. A slightly calmer question. I'm sure the Prime Minister is aware that the fatal and incurable human brain disease, variant CJD, is transferred through prions via blood products and surgical instruments. Recently, Professor Collins and others at the MRC Prion unit have produced an effective Prion deactivation instrument soap and a blood test for variant CJD, both of which could and should protect the public. Unfortunately, there's been a small financial hiccup in progressing these breakthroughs. Does the Prime Minister accept the importance of prevention regarding this despicable disease, particularly for future generations? And will he meet me and Professor Collins to discuss potential progress?
0: My my honourable friend raises an important point about a a very dangerous disease, and I'd be certainly happy to arrange a meeting, I think probably between him and Professor Sally Davis, the Chief Medical Officer, to discuss this. He will will know that there have been various research studies done into the impact of variant CJD on the population. We don't yet have all the answers that we need. Since 1990, there have been funding uh, of the National CJD Research and Surveillance Unit to the tune of 18. Uh, million pounds, and through the Medical Research Council, we have committed to provide 32 million pounds to the National Prion pr- Unit between 2010 and 2014. And that should be the money that gets to the answers that he so badly wants to see.
1: Mr. Elphine Kluid. you very much, Mr. Speaker. The um, Protection from Harassment Act 1997 has served its purpose rather well over the years, but recently there's been a huge increase in incidents of cyber stalking, sometimes with devastating effects. Would the Prime Minister, in due course, meet with myself and a small delegation from across the House of members who are very concerned about this issue?
0: I'm very happy to hold that meeting with him, Uh, and what we are doing is trying to make sure that right across the board we take cybercrime seriously, because there's a huge growth of cybercrime. Very often it is about trying to take people's money, very often it's actually about espionage, but the point he he makes about harassment is also important, and we need to make sure that the strategy dealing with cyber takes full account of what he says. Bob Russell, the Labour Government took Britain to the brink of
1: bankruptcy. (laughs) the gap between rich and poor widened, and nearly four million children were left living below the poverty line. Last month, the coalition government cut income tax, liberally helping millions of people. But I have to ask the Prime Minister this. If we are all in this together, what is he going to do about the obscenity of 1,000 multimillionaires boosting their personal um, their, personal, um, wealth, their personal wealth by 18 per cent in the last year.
0: One of the things we, we, we absolutely will do and have put the money in to make sure it happens is to crack down on the tax evasion that takes place so widely in our country, and the Treasury have put money into that campaign to make sure that it happens. But he makes a good point that because of our coalition government, we have lifted a million people out of income tax, and at the same time, over the last year, we see exports up, we see private sector jobs up, we see the economy growing, and we see borrowing down—all radically different to what would have happened if we had listened to the recipe from the party opposite. Alan Johnson on the subject of empty opposition, the Prime Minister castigated his predecessor for not prescribing the radical Islamist organisation, Hizbut Tahrir, when the previous Prime Minister had been in post for a week. He's now been, post, been in post for a year. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to give him the opportunity to castigate himself. <laughs> Well, it's very kind of the Honourable Gentleman to give me that opportunity. We are clear that we've got to target groups that, that, actually pro, that actually promote extremism and not just violent extremism. We have prescribed one or two groups. I would like to see action take against Hizbut Tahrir, and that review is underway at the moment. Tony Baldry. Um, can, my,
1: um, can my right hon. Friend tell the House uh, what estimate he has made of the comments made this week by the Director-General, of the uh, CBI on the government's deficit reduction plan. Well, the point
0: the, the point the CBI have made, and they have not always in their history supported action to tackle deficits and to get on top yep. of bad public finances, but on this occasion they are absolutely four square behind the action the Government has taken. and When asked what would happen if we had followed the ideas of the party opposite, they actually said this. The economy would be weaker because of the impact of a loss of confidence in the markets. If we did not have a clear programme to reduce the deficit over this Parliament, we would have seen a significant rise in our interest rates and growth would have been eroded rather more than it has been. That is the view of the CBI, the experts at the heart of British industry who say you cannot trust Labour with the economy.
1: Wayne David. Last week we had an excellent result in Wales for the Labour Party. (laughs) Can I ask the Prime Minister, given his general election manifesto commitment and the commitment of the Liberal Democrats, what progress has he made so far on reforming the Barnett formula as it applies to Wales?
0: Well, of course we are going to look closely at a a uh, Calman-like approach for for Wales, but I have to say to him. uh, Actually, if that is his definition of uh, success, then um, well, I suppose he's going to be a happy man. I think he should spend, uh, spend a little bit of time studying what his colleague, the MP for Glasgow South, said about Labour's performance in Scotland, which was this Labour deserved to lose. We insulted the intelligence of our voters by peddling a myth. That is what happened. I know you don't want to hear about Scotland, but you ought to think about it. <laughs> Daniel Kaczynski.
1: But- Thank you Mr Speaker. Conservative controlled Shropshire Council have managed to make savings of £30 million whilst whilst protecting frontline services. Part of that has been a reduction in salaries for for councillors and senior managers Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Shropshire Council on this achievement? And are they not a shining example for other councils up and down the country to follow?
0: Yes. My hon. Friend makes a very good point, which is up and down the country, councils have been able to reduce back-office costs and bureaucracy, and the pay of chief executives, and crack down on council allowances, and all of those things in order to protect frontline services. It's happened in Shropshire. It's happened in many other parts of the country, and it's an example that should be followed. Tom Watson. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister told me the hacking inquiry should go where the evidence leads. It leads to the parents of the Soham children and rogue intelligence officers. He knows of more sinister forms of cybercrime. Lord Fowler is calling for a judicial inquiry. Please, will you order one now, Prime Minister, before the avalanche of new evidence? Forces you into doing so. But I think there is a real problem with interfering, which that would effectively do, with the criminal uh, investigations that are taking place. So I think the most important thing is to allow that criminal investigation to take place. And as I said to him before, make sure the police and the prosecuting authorities can follow the evidence wherever it leads. I think that is the most important thing to happen. Robert Halfon.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does my uh, hon. Friend agree that the story of Robin Hood has parallels with a government that is taxing bankers to build a big society, city fat cats cats to fund taxes for lower earners and oil barons to cut fuel prices? Will he invite disaffected members opposite to join a government that helps the poor and takes away from the rich?
0: My honourable friend makes a good point, which it was this government that introduced a bank levy and has used that money to help some of the poorest in our country. And it's this government that has taxed the oil companies at a time when the the oil price is so high in order to cut petrol duties to help millions of people in our country. What a contrast with the party opposite, where the action they took against the banks was to give Fred Goodwin a knighthood. Liz Kendall.
1: The Prime Minister knows about the very real pressures faced by London's emergency services, including in the run-up to next year's Olympics. So can he tell the House what risk assessment he's made of London Ambulance Service's decision to cut 20% of its workforce, including 560 frontline NHS (laughs) staff?
0: Well, I have discussed with London's emergency services some of the challenges that they face, not least about the Olympics, but also about the terrorist threat that they face. Now, all organisations in this country are having to make savings and efficiencies and try to concentrate on the front line. Now, that is what is happening in police, that is what is happening elsewhere. But the point about ambulance and NHS is that we are protecting the spending on the NHS. And there was, frankly, only one party that proposed that at the last election. And and if we weren't if we hadn't proposed that it wouldn't be happening we'd listen to the party opposite including the former health spokesman who spoke earlier they were going to cut the nhs and that would affect london ambulance like everything else Julian sturdy thank you uh, mr speaker does the prime minister share the Shadow Chancellor's view that the government should adopt the Obama administration's pace of
1: deficit reduction. But
0: <laughs> well, he makes a very good point, which is for years they've been, or not years, for months they've been telling us we should follow the American approach. It actually now emerges that the Obama deficit reduction programme is exactly as fast and as quick and as deep as the proposals in the UK. So one of the planks, one of the planks of the good ship bulls has just uh, completely. <laughs> Completely been hole below the waterline. Sammy Wilson.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I also join in the tribute which was given to David Kearns by the Prime Minister? David, of course, served with distinction as a minister in Northern Ireland during the period of direct rule, and many people there had very, very great respect for the work that he did in Northern Ireland. The UK's contribution. To the bailout for Eurozone countries which find themselves in financial difficulties amounts to half of the savings made in the deficit reduction plan in the United Kingdom this year, a fact which I think will stagger many people um, and appall them in um, this country. Can the Prime Minister give us an assurance that the UK will make no further contributions? to the bailout of those countries which have got into financial difficulties and also... um, uh, I think we've got the thrust of
0: it and we're grateful. The Prime Minister. Can I congratulate the Honourable Member on uh, his re-election last week to the the Northern Irish uh, Assembly. The point I make is this, the only direct money that Britain has actually lent directly is to the Republic of Ireland and I think it is actually in our national interest and I would say in the interests of Northern Ireland that we don't see a collapse in the economy in the Republic and I think that was a difficult decision but the right decision to make. The other uh, contingent liabilities on Britain flow through the finance mechanism in Europe, which we did not support the establishment of, that we have negotiated to get rid of when the new arrangements come in in 2013, and we will do everything we can to safeguard Britain's
1: finances. Lawrence Robertson Can the Prime Minister confirm that if any part of the United Kingdom decided to leave the Union? Uh, that while part of the national debt would follow them a continuation of subsidy from the remaining british taxpayers would not
0: well, well of course i can confirm that but i believe that everyone in this house who believes in the united kingdom and the future of the united kingdom should join together and make sure that we fight off the threat of the idea of break up of our United Kingdom. Now I don't believe we will achieve that through threats or by saying that small countries can't make it. I believe the way that we'll make that argument is by saying being part of the United Kingdom is good for Scotland and Scotland being part of the United Kingdom is good for the rest of the United Kingdom. I want us to make an uplifting and optimistic case of why we're better off together. That is what all of us who support our union should do and I, I for one will certainly play my part.
1: Campbell. Now that the referendum is out the way, uh, undoubtedly nobody asked for it, and nobody wanted it, except for oh, the liberals good, or Bob Bragg and Bradtail here. Uh, yet, yet, well, and, uh, Albert and Albert, Albert and Albert. yet, yet, Prime Minister, there was a survey done a few weeks ago that said 70% of the British people wanted a, a, a referendum on Europe. It's in the Liberal manifesto, but that doesn't mean much. (laughs) Half of your, more than half of your backbenchers want a referendum as well. When are the people going to get the referendum on yours?
0: Well, the honourable gentleman says that the referendum on alternative vote was something nobody wanted. I have to remind him it was actually it was in his manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I know. I know that uh, it was a pretty turgid document, and he might want to he might want to have a word with the author about how to, in, how to improve things next time, but I would recommend reading the manifesto before you stand for the party Caroline notes
1: given, given the high level of demand for uh, pub, the public to attend the consultation events on the future of children 's cardiac services in Southampton, will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister join with me in calling for additional events? so that the maximum number of people in the wider Southampton area can
0: participate now, I would certainly agree with the honourable lady and indeed uh, in the review of child cardiac services there are this affects my constituency as well as hers and people are talking about how Southampton and Oxford should work together I think there should be as many events as people want to go to as much transparency as possible and as much explanation as possible about why uh, if specialization is necessary about why that is necessary and why that is good for patients because in the end that must be the test of everything we do in the NHS. To
1: Alan White head. We know from a number of his ministers what they think about the adoption of the uh, fourth budget uh, proposed by the Climate Change Committee. What does he think about it? Will he be pressing for the adoption of that budget when the Cabinet meets to discuss this as we are reliably informed it will?
0: <coughs> but we will be responding in full uh, to the House on the fourth carbon budget. It is very important we get this right. We have strict timetables and targets uh, laid out in terms of our carbon reduction, and this Government is committed to making sure we meet them. Order. Closed question, Mr. Richard Bacon. Number 12, sir. Uh, We are very concerned that the NHS IT projects we inherited were of poor value for money, an issue we raised repeatedly in opposition. According to the National Audit Office, even in 2008, delivery of the care record system was likely to take four years more than planned. Since coming into government, we've reviewed the projects with the intention to make the best of what we've inherited. In part as a result of our work, the government has cut 1.3 billion from the cost of the national programme for IT in the NHS, including planned savings of at least 500 million from Computer Sciences Corporation. Richard Bacon. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister agree that the NHS IT programme will never deliver its early promise, that in particular CSE has failed with Lorenzo, and that rather than squandering £4.7 billion that is still unspent, the solution is to negotiate a way forward (coughs) which frees up billions of pounds for the benefit of patients? Well, I I agree with my honourable friend that we are absolutely determined to achieve better value for money. And let me reassure him there are no plans to sign any new contract with Computer Sciences Corporation until the National Audit Office report has been reviewed and until the Public Accounts Committee meetings and the Major Projects Authority reviews have taken place. The Department of Health and Cabinet Office will examine all the available options under the current contract, including the option of terminating some or indeed all of the contract. Question 13 Sheila Gilmore.
1: Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Will the Prime Minister investigate why his much-trumpeted work programme will be delivered in Scotland by private companies with only an 8% voluntary sector component or does this big society not apply in Scotland?
0: I think if the Honourable Lady looks at the details of who in Scotland is going to be providing the voluntary sector products, while, while I accept the figure she gives for the lead number of voluntary bodies is right, if she looks at the subcontracting arrangements, I think she'll see be- bigger and better opportunities for the voluntary sector. But if what she's saying is we should be doing even more to open up public services to voluntary and other providers, absolutely yes, and perhaps she could persuade Made her front bench to make it Labour policy too.
1: Tom Brake. Thank you. Uh, would, would the, one year on, one year on after the coalition was formed, would the Prime Minister like to update the House on the progress that's been made in tackling <laughs> the economic and financial wasteland that was left to us by the previous government? Yeah.
0: I would make to Great the question. honourable gentleman is not only is exports growing and manufacturing growing, but we've got 400,000 more people in work Audiences than there were a year Audiences. ago. I apologise to the prime minister. There's far too much noise in the chamber. I heard the question. I want to hear the prime minister's answer. The prime minister. The fact is, Mr. Speaker, they don't want to hear what this government's achieved over the last year. Because it's this government that's cut the deficit, that's capped immigration, that froze the council tax, that's linked the pension back to earnings, that's taken a million people out of income tax, that's reformed welfare, and that's created more academy schools in 12 months than that lot managed in 12 years. That is a record with much more to do, but I think the coalition can be proud of. Yeah. Dr. William McRae.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last week, the widow of Captain Mark Hale, who died serving in Afghanistan, Was elected to the Northern Ireland Assembly as a member of the Strengthened DUP team. Brenda is a leading campaigner to have the military covenant enshrined in law. Will the Prime Minister recognise the public support for Brenda and other uh, folks' campaign And will he give our heroes the support that they deserve?
0: Well, first of all, can I congratulate her on on her election? And I think it is excellent that actually someone who's going to speak up for the military and for their families is going to have a seat in the Northern Irish Assembly particularly when Ireland, both North and South, has given so much to Britain's armed forces over so many years. I do want to see a very strong armed forces covenant set out, clearly debated in this House and clearly referenced in law, and I want to see us actually make bigger steps forward on the things we do to help our armed forces families. Now We have made some steps over this last year, doubling the operational allowance, giving more money to schools where forces children uh, go, helping in ways uh, including Health and also scholarships for those whose parents have sadly fallen in battle. But I believe there is more we can do, and this government will not let up in making sure we have an armed forces covenant we can be proud of. Yeah. Order.
1: Statement the Foreign Secretary.